that's why the movie is important because through the, all of the silliness, we can show some issues that are not quite right, I think. And it's supposed to make us think, make us act, not only react. Hello and welcome to the Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's top contenders for the Oscars and more of the industry's biggest awards. I'm David Canfield, EW's Movies Editor, joined as always by my co-host, Clarissa Cruz, EW's Executive Editor, and back with us again is our awards expert, Joey Nolfi. Hi, guys. Hello. You are lucky I'm here today. I'm in deep mourning over Penguin Bloom's multiple snubs. <laughs> well, it is Oscar <laughs> nominations morning, Penguin Bloom snub and all. And we're ready to break down all the snubs and surprises <laughs> and offer hints of who may win it all next month. Um, I'm thrilled that our guest today is a first-time Oscar nominee as of this morning. Maria Bakalova spoke with Joey about her wild, hilarious performance in Borat's subsequent movie film. I will not read out the full name of the movie, unlike Priyanka Chopra Jonas, who was a real, um, a real mensch in that regard. <laughs> um, before we get into that, let's talk nominations. We have one more uh, special surprise. Uh, EW's own Marcus Jones spoke with one such nominee, double nominee, in fact, Leslie Odom Jr., uh, this morning getting his reaction uh, to the nominations today. So let's take a quick listen to that. How does it all feel getting nominated for both Supporting Actor and Best Original Song? I remember after Hamilton, the, a question that I got a lot, and it took a while for me to answer it, as you can imagine, people were like, you know, so what do you want to do next? What's your dream role? And it was so weird because I had just played it. You know, I didn't, I didn't have another dream role. I didn't have, that was like my wildest dream come true. So um, eventually, a few months in, I was like, okay, what do I want to do after Hamilton? I want to do all the things that no one would let me do before Hamilton. And film was certainly that. I could, I could not get arrested in film. And I don't say that with any kind of chip on my shoulder. I didn't know what I was doing. In right. many ways, I still don't. So uh, what I've learned in the past five years is that making films is such a public way to learn. It's so public and you're learning not only how to be on camera, but you're learning, um, you know, how to make good use of yourself. How do good movies get made? And, um, and then, um, yeah, it, there's, there's just a whole lot to learn. And so uh, this feels in many ways, I hope it doesn't sound weird, but it feels in many ways like, um, I don't know, like a starting place. I'm just so grateful to Regina and to the other filmmakers who gave me these early opportunities to learn because now I feel like I can, I can build from here, you know? We are here as representatives from a, a whole large group of people that made something that we believe in. And so um, I hope people go and watch One Night in Miami and, um, and see uh, just the, the tremendous work top to bottom. That, that is led and um, is the product of the vision of Regina King. Um, but there's, there's so much exciting work being done in One Night in Miami. So I hope that these nominations this morning encourage people to go check it out. So thrilled for Leslie. Um, and let's, let's get into the rest of these. Joey, Clarissa, what are your headlines today? Well, I think for sure, two women nominated in Best Director for the first time ever. I'm so excited about that. I mean, yeah. we were hoping for this and the fact that, that it happened, I think is super exciting and, and amazing. And long uh, overdue. 
long overdue exactly mm. i was Joey? very happy to see viola davis break the record for black actresses she's now the most nominated black actress in history though i think she recently told variety it was long overdue and i cannot disagree with her there mm -hmm. um chloe zhao is also the first woman of color uh nominated for Best Director, in addition to the milestone of having two women in the category for the first time ever. And our darling Steven, he is the first Asian American <laughs> Best Actor nominee for Minari. So it's just incredible and just well-deserved nominations all around. I, 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 I don't think any of them feel like, you know, a lot of people were fearing that maybe this year would be like a tokenized Oscars, but I think that this, they all feel very genuinely well-deserved. Yeah. yeah, Riz Ahmed, Riz Ahmed, the first Muslim mm -hmm. actor yeah. to be nominated for um, to be nominated for Best Actor. I think it's just uh, is it a record number of POC um, nominees? Uh, I, I believe it is, and it's definitely a record of uh, Black actors nominated. Um, the supporting actor category is majority Black actors: Leslie Odom Jr., Daniel Kaluuya, and a big, big shock, which we can get into more later. Lakeith Stanfield, uh, both of him and Daniel for Judas and the Black Messiah, which performed extremely well mm -hmm. overall. It was really the big surprises we'd kind of hinted at last week uh, that it was the one that had the ground to gain. Uh, so it was nice to see it follow through on that narrative we'd sort of laid out here. Um, what one other headline for me is um, there. There is this sort of there was this perception of this Oscar race as maybe a little bit less than um, with with less movies contending, even though that wasn't true. It was, I believe, more nominees submitted for Best Picture consideration than last year. And, you know, so many movies pushed back, and so who was even left? And I think you look at this slate of Best Picture nominees, eight films nominated, and it's one of the most interesting, um, worthy groups I can remember. I mean, there's not one on there that I would really point at and say, what the hell is this doing here? I mean, Mank is probably the most divisive, Joey making a face. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mank is the only one that I'm looking at there. But, you know, this is a movie that it's just going to appeal to this group of voters. And even though it had the most nominations with 10, it, it didn't do as well, maybe, as some thought. It missed a screenplay nomination for uh, David's late father, David Fincher's late father, Jack Fincher, um, which is an indication that you know, was going to clean up in the craft categories. Amanda Seyfried did end up pulling through Whoa. in that sort of cluttered Best Supporting Actress field. Uh, Gary Oldman nominated for Best Actor. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it was just a group of nominees that I feel really excited about, and um, especially movies like like Judas and even something like The Father, which felt so so innovative. So Ooh. I was just ma mainly pleased. Yeah, I mean, Mank is going to be the Irishman of the year, though. I mean, I don't yeah. know what it mm -hmm. could possibly win here i i don't think anything really um so yes obviously it's going to be something that appeals across the board it's a technical masterpiece it is so impressive in that regard so across the board yes definitely makes sense that the branches are voting for it but i just cannot see the passion for it from uh the academy in general putting it at number one when they're ranking their best picture um uh nominees going forward so yeah I mean, I was I, I want to compliment you, too, because I was just looking at the acting categories and who you all predicted. And for three out of the four major acting categories, you guys were five for five on your prediction. I don't predictions. think so, Clarissa. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I, I was, really? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. for, for, you were right for, um, for performance by an actor in a leading role. Actor was the only one five. I think we got 100%. No, no. And then, and then for um, actress, unless I was looking at the wrong predictions list, um, you had actress, correct? 
Mm-mm. We changed no? it. At the, yeah, yeah, we oh, changed it at the last oh, second. Yeah. Yeah. No, am I looking yeah. at the old one? Well, I'm, you're, am I giving you too you many You know what? Then? You are looking at what we predicted uh, yes. before the last podcast. Before the last oh, podcast. I was like, wow, no. Joey. If we had well, stuck to the podcast predictions, we would have. Oh my God! Oh, we well, can I just say so that well. then your your gut predictions before we're you good. <laughs> were really good, and you should have stuck to them. Um, so let's let's talk because uh, the one fault. that 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 had the most surprises, I think, was the supporting actor category. Mm-hmm. Um, because Paul Arachi and Lakeith Stanfield got in there. Um, can we speak about that? What, what what do you think those surge was that a surge because those two movies in general did really well? It, it's funny because last week we were talking a lot about Kingsley Benadir for One Night in Miami, mm-hmm. uh, who was being positioned as lead uh, for that film, who's great in that film. Uh, and we thought that movie would have a bigger day than it did. Um, Lakeith Stanfield was actually the one who was positioned in lead and was able to break through in supporting on the strength of you know, overall support for the film. Um, the Oscars have a sort of interesting voting system when it comes to, to categories where if you end up getting more votes in one than the other, those votes count toward that category. Mm. Um, we saw this for Kate Winslet uh, when she won for The Reader. Uh, that had been a performance that she got in supporting for at the Golden Globes and SAG Awards. Um, and then for, for Lakeith, he really hadn't been showing up anywhere. Mm-hmm. And we'd sort of identify that this category would be a big, there would be a big surprise here. We talked about like Alan Kim from Minari maybe. Um, who did not make the cut, sadly. Uh, Poor, little Poor little Alan. Poor little Alan. But I, I think Lakeith, first of all, he's great in the movie in his own right. And, so great. And he, 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 I think, has deserved a larger portion of this conversation, as good as Daniel is uh, in the mm-hmm. film. So it was just nice to see that recognition, um, but also just a huge momentum shift for Judas. It also got, you know, a craft nomination like cinematography really shows you that uh, the Academy had gotten behind it in a way that really no other group had. I mean, the film wasn't nominated by the Cinematography Guild. Um, and it had a lot of times just been Daniel and that's it. It got in for yeah. screenplay too. So. But thing. I think it's also important to look at, given the Best Picture nominees, what maybe underperformed in yeah. its place that allowed things like Sound of Metal and uh, um, Judas to sort of rise. I think Ma Rainey is definitely a big uh, one to talk about there. And also One Night in Miami. Um, I I was actually, I was texting with my good friend, Eric Anderson of Awards Watch last night. I'm just stirring some last minute chaos into the universe right before bed, (laughs) which I highly recommend. And the last thing I remember saying to him was, I can see One Night in Miami missing Best Picture. And it just, it came to me in a premonition. I am now a medium. Um, but I just, <laughs> I, it, I thought it was going to happen. And he promptly was just like, go to bed. Like that was the dismissive text of the night. And I think that that film has merits. Obviously, Regina King's directorial debut. It's impressive for a first time film. It's got tremendous performances. But I think it is a perfect example of a film that pundits got caught up in its dressings versus the quality of the film itself because I remember watching it for the first time and thinking okay this this is good but it's not a game changer or a film that hits you the same way that something like Judas or Promising Young Woman or Nomadland do it is um you know and also Ma Rainey I think falls into the same category because they are very stagey based on you know stage plays they're they're very um I don't want to say muted in their presentation but they're not as sort of dynamic emotionally I think as some of the movies that we did see get into best picture over them Um, especially something like Judas 
I think the father is also a good comparison point. It's also mm-hmm. pretty much one location based on a play, but it, it's a really innovative cinematic approach yeah. that was clearly very respected by these voters. I loved One Night in Miami particularly, so I, I was uh, I a like dis- it. Yeah, yeah. I was I was a little disappointed not to see it here, um, but I, I do think it was probably number nine. Um, yeah, Ma Rainey didn't even get an adapted screenplay, which really surprised right. me. So that was one mm-hmm. that I think took a, a bit of a harder hit than One Night in Miami. Yes. But I totally agree with you, Joey. I think in general, I think those movies also being lumped together in a way, they are very similar in in execution and premise mm-hmm. and, and really appeal. Um, yeah. I think that may have hurt mm-hmm. them overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you just don't normally see two movies of that sort of scope and scale competing in the same lane. And, and I think they probably both yeah. suffered from that. Right. Yeah. Well, can, can we talk about um, some other surprises? I mean... I was really surprised to see another round <laughs> there. I mean, where did, where did that come from? Did you expect that in any way? I mean, there were some people that were, and we were sitting here laughing at them. <laughs> because we were like, I, I said to Joey, hell? some people are p- predicting Thomas Vinterberg. What Vindberg. the hell? <laughs> what the hell? I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, the directors used to do this, I think a lot more. Like I'm thinking of these weird one-off nominees that I always reference, like David Lynch from Mulholland Drive. It mm-hmm. just used to happen a lot more, but now we're seeing it happen again especially yeah. for international contenders like powell for cold war and now yeah. thomas for this mm-hmm. the directing branch really is the most singular of all the branches and they just truly like what they like i don't think there is any science or as david likes to say at the math um the to math. get down mm-hmm. to like there's nothing in that sense to get down to with this one they just liked it and they voted for it and they don't give a shit about or <laughs> what what you know <laughs> the rest of the industry is yeah. is doing if you look Whose at slot the, did he take? He, he took uh, no, sorry. He he took it's okay. He took um, Aaron Sorkin's slot. Yes, and uh, if sure. you look at the overlap between the Directors Guild and the Oscars, almost always it's four out of five. That's a mm-hmm. very clear average. Very rarely mm-hmm. it's five. Very rarely it's three. Almost always it's five or four. Um, and so everyone knew that there was one person who was going to miss. The two obvious contenders were Aaron Sorkin because it's just not a directing movie, The Trial of the Chicago 7. And we were predicting Emerald Fennel would miss for Promising Young Woman. She felt a little bit like Taika Waititi from last year for Jojo Rabbit. Mm -hmm. You know, this this face of a movie that's very beloved, but a little maybe weirder, a little less uh, broad skewing. Um, So that's why we went with her. Uh, But it could have been either of them in the end. Very glad that Emerald made it through. Um, And that... (laughs) Not glad that Aaron did not, but I, I think that Emerald was much more, <laughs> much more, much more deserving of a, of a directing nomination. Um, and and I, I mean, if you look at prediction lists that came out this past week, I think everyone had a different person for that fifth slot. You saw yeah. Regina King, Darius Martyr. There were some Thomas Vinterberg, you know, outliers mm. that turned out to be correct. Um, and others, too. I mean, I saw Florian Zeller popping up for The Father, mm-hmm. and yeah. they were on the right track, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had talked about him as well. Um, so, it, but Joey's right. It's just, it's a branch that goes its own way and you really never know what niche contender is really going to speak to them. But usually lately there has been one where they will go, yes, that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I still just, I think about trial of the Chicago seven and I'm just like, how is that even a movie that is real? It's just like <laughs> that. It's so, I mean, I watched it, like, it's just, it's so 
it's just weird, like that it even exists. Like Jeremy oh. is totally doing a Saturday Night Live uh, <laughs> character in that movie. Sasha, how is that a real performance? I just don't, I don't understand. I don't understand this movie. How do you really feel, movie. Joey? I don't, dis- I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I'm not saying I hate it. I think that they do good work. Like Sasha, good work. Like, gr- like good performance. But it's just all of these elements together. It just feels so weird in the context of one movie. I mean, I agree. Between the Mank, Ma Rainey, and Trial Shade, Netflix is definitely coming for Joey's guest host. <laughs> it's because they didn't push Penguin Bloom hard enough. I, I, we know where the wound is. We know why this is coming out right now. Um, well, one Netflix movie I was thrilled to see pop up, and uh, EW really, really led on and, and was really got behind, was The White Tiger yes. Uh, yes. from Ramin Barani. Um, you know, this was one of those cases where I feel like if Netflix gave this a little bit more of an awards push, because Best Actor, I don't want to say it's it's a weak category, but, you know, Steven Yeun in there for a borderline supporting performance, there, there was room to play there. And Adarsh mm-hmm. Garab in that movie is so incredible. He got, so ba- he got BAFTA, uh, BAFTA nomination um, and a couple other uh, critics groups. He really didn't factor into the conversation, but the movie... It was an interesting thing that happened with this movie. Um, it was clearly well-liked by a lot of Academy members. It wasn't really on that awards radar, but all the support really coalesced into this adapted screenplay category um, to the extent where, you know, a more seeming overall contender like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom wasn't even nominated, um, and Borat mm. also got in over Ma Rainey. Mm. Um, but I was, I was thrilved to see that. Um, was there any other... Any other well, I was thrilled to happy. I was thrilled to see White Tigers there too. White Tiger there too, but the Academy spelled it White Tigers, which worried me. They did. I added the White Tigers. And to have Priyanka <laughs> singing it when she was in that movie. Ooh, messy, messy. Oh, oh I didn't even pick up on that. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> so uh, anyway, just a small thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I I was I knew that it wasn't it was kind of a long shot, but Delroy Lindo for. The Five Bloods. I was kind of hoping that this would happen in the end, but uh, but he, uh, unfortunately he didn't make it. Um, yeah, that yeah, was, but that, that, that one was, was, that that one was, was sadly over. But um, yeah, I don't know yeah. what happened there. Yeah, yeah there's. Oh, I just have such issues. Like when I'm seeing all these, a lot of people talking about like the word snub. It's just one of my huge pet peeves to me. Snub he is just it. like not <laughs> an appropriate. Word And I'm not saying, Clarissa, you didn't use this word. I'm not targeting this at you. Um, but, you know, snub is just not an appropriate word to use when something you like but has no precursor support doesn't get a nomination. Like, Jennifer Lopez was a, right, sn- I was gonna was say, a snub. <laughs> yes, that was a snub. She had every precursor, but the Academy shut her out. Delroy had nothing. I mean, Dominique Fishback had BAFTA. I mean, it's it's not a snub if they don't have the track record. It's unfortunate, and they did incredible work that deserved recognition, but it's not like a statistical snub. I just have, I, I also have, I want to, you know, that brings me to Jody, like, because I think I might have issues calling Jody a snub as well, even though we were predicting her, because she really only had the Globe. I mean, she didn't show up at SAG. The Globe is voted on by non-industry journalists. But, I mean, Jody did break a really crazy stat about Best Supporting Actress, um, Golden Globe winners, where the mm-hmm. Globe winner in that category has not missed an Oscar nod since 1976, which is why I think I was so insistent on keeping it in there, and I should have listened to David. Um, but Supporting Actress, we I think we have to talk about that for a second, because, <laughs> I mean, Maria won Critics' Choice, SAG, SAG will be the teller here. Um, yeah. I know, yeah. you know, it, it, 
in chaos, the industry goes with the reliable name, like you're saying, David, which would be Glenn. But Maria has shown up just literally everywhere. And I'm starting to feel like Yoo Jung-yoon is could be a surprise winner here because Minari has overwhelming support. I mean, six nominations in major categories, That's she, she could be the one who breaks through here. It's still a wide open race in supporting actress. I think this category is wide open. I, I it's a nightmare. I could not tell you who is out front here. I mean, my gut sort of says Maria Bakalova. Um, the support for Borat went a little bit beyond her. And um, that to me is fairly notable because... It's like, yes, you could say Amanda Seyfried for Mank, you know, being in the most nominated film, but she really didn't even get nominated by SAG. Ooh, 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 trigger word for Joey, sorry. (laughs) Um, I think, I think, yeah, Yoon is absolutely in it too, though. I'm going to finish my point, Joey. Yes, Um, finish it. I I, I can't, every time I say Mank, we can't like have a five minute conversation. Um... You know what? Actually, I'm done. I'm happy with that. (laughs) Well, you know, can we talk about front runners for these categories? Because I feel like last year, and we made this point in the last podcast, um, it was pretty set, you know, throughout the award season, who the front runners were for each category. And I think um, in most of these categories, it's set as well. But um, but can we can we go over who who we think um, Mm -hmm. for all the majors? I think in addition to. Maria, who we're very, very tentatively agreed on right now. The rest feel pretty locked into me. I mean, you yeah. could have maybe made an argument that Daniel Kaluuya could face a challenge from a Leslie Odom Jr. a couple days ago, but with Judas overperforming and One Night Miami underperforming, he's very clearly out front there. And it's mm-hmm. not like the Emmys where, you know, it's a one check off. You know, there's no risk of splitting with, with Lakeith there. Um, Chadwick Boseman, an absolute lock for best actor, no matter Ma Rainey. Rainey's performance, Carrie Mulligan um, doing very well, I think, in Best Actress. Although Andra Day, I still think Andra Day is in that race. Yeah. It's the kind of performance that um, will get a lot of votes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and she's proven that she can win a race, however smaller a voting body uh, with the Golden yeah. Globes. Um, and, and Nomadland and Chloe Zhao, I just don't think there's any stopping it. Aaron Sorkin not mm-hmm. even getting a directing nod really shows that there's just not a clear challenger to this movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, there's no no real surprises, I think, or shakeups in the above-the-line races. I mean, Nomadland, like you're saying, remains the front-runner. I do wonder, though, and I have floated this many times, I mean, we have presumed that there have been many front-runners in acting categories in the past that ended up losing, like Glenn mm-hmm. Close for The Wife. Mm-hmm. Even though Chadwick is still the one I'm predicting, if the lack of love for Ma Rainey and the over outpouring of love for Sound of Metal, me, do you think that that means Riz oh, is becoming a more legitimate <sighs> threat? I think it... I, I, I do I, not. I, I, not. I don't think... I'm not ready to predict it. I'm not ready mm-hmm. to predict it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I was predicting him to win before Chadwick started steamrolling. I'm wondering if there is a path there because Sound of Metal is so beloved. And Ma Rainey, I, compared I just, to Ma Rainey. I, I just don't think that Chadwick is getting a vote for Ma Rainey. And that's why I don't think he's he's vulnerable. I mean, you could also argue that Anthony Hopkins had a good day for the father. Um, yeah. I just, I really don't see that category moving. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't, if, if you know, I'm not ready to go that way yet. I just have to plant the seed of chaos. Yeah. And, you know, you did that last night with One Night Miami and look at where we are now. Oh, I don't um, want to clap for that. No, I shouldn't clap for that. I don't, I'm not. I I mean, I'm not I'll, I'll clap for us being right. That doesn't yeah. mean we're happy with the results. 
Uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. Joey, our awards expert slash medium. Slash chaos agent. Chaos slash chaos agent, yes. On that note, speaking of Joey, our oh, chaos yes. agent, uh, his delightful interview with Maria Bakalova is next. Stay with us. For this week's awardist interview, I had the pleasure of speaking with Bulgarian breakout Maria Bakalova, who chatted with me about her Oscar-nominated role in Borat's subsequent movie film. So let's check it out. I'm very excited to talk to you. This is one of my favorite performances of last year, and I thank you so much for being here. And congratulations on this performance. By the way, you were just so brilliant playing the daughter of Sasha Baron Cohen's titular Borat as he returns to the United States with you, his 15-year-old daughter, to offer you to Mike Pence as a bribe, which, saying that out loud, it's just still hard to believe that that's actually a real movie plot, right? (laughs) Yeah. You've already picked up a few critics' awards on the circuit so far. You are just on a very good trajectory right now. And along the way for this movie, we get into some really crazy moments with the American public. You're doing a moonblood dance at a debutante ball, you're kept in a cage, you guys break into the CPAC, but this isn't all just absurd comedy. I mean, the story has a more serious thematic meaning at heart, right? Yeah, um, I think the movie has some beautiful messages about equality, about how we should all treat each other with love and respect, and how women should not be subjugated by the patriarchy, how we should not change ourselves just to fit in the norma, just to fit around somebody's idea of what is beauty, what is supposed to happen, especially with women. And this beautiful love story between a father and a daughter. And I think it's important because at the end of the day, the family is our back. And I don't know. (laughs) No, it's well said, I think. And I read that actually, contrary to a lot of what you're doing in this film, you have a bit of a straight-laced background. Like you were reading Dostoevsky as a kid in Bulgaria. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) So was there you know, something cathartic or liberating as an actor sort of wreaking havoc on the American public by unleashing this wild performance that that lived inside you? Maybe I've been always thinking about the idea of do everything what is supposed to do right now. Don't think about the result. Don't think about the ending of the things. Just go for it. I don't know. Be, be wild. I, I wasn't that crazy when I was a little girl. I was more like <laughs> Okay, I'm going to be super disciplined. I'm going to read books. I'm going to go to flute lessons. I'm going to go to piano lessons. I'm going to do this and that and that and that, like kind of nerdish. So maybe I'm getting crazier when I'm getting older. <laughs> when you auditioned for this film, I, I was reading up a little bit on what you had said about the audition process, and it does seem like a wild ride in itself. So were you apprehensive at first, I guess, to join this film, or did you always sort of know that you were capable of delivering this sort of wild, crazy performance that... that did live inside you? I think that there is a lot of craziness inside of me, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I wasn't sure that I'm, I'm going to be able to like do it the same way to match Sasha because Sasha is one of a kind and this is like his most famous character and the funniest character that I've ever watched in a cinema. And I was like, okay, the bar is really high. Am I going to make it? So I wasn't sure. I mean, I knew that I'm going to do whatever it takes to match Sasha, but how it was going to look like at the end, of course I wasn't sure. I think a lot of the film draws its comedy from these juxtapositions of the earnest approach to your character and these unsuspecting Americans that you guys meet along the way. But were you surprised that men in the film reacted the way that they did? Like the guy in the store agreeing to let Borat send messages indicating that you'd be sold 
as a gift to Mike Pence or the guy nailing you into a box or the other person agreeing to sell a cage to put you in? Like, was that alarming or did it weigh on you emotionally knowing that men were so willing to participate in this and not question it? Uh, because of that question that you just asked me, I want to get back to the idea of how we should not treat women in a way that it used to be by the time when the patriarchy existed, because we are living in this new world where everything's supposed to be possible and where women should not be seen as sexual objects. But at some places, sometimes we still can see that and it's not something right, I think. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel comfortable. And seeing all of the supporters of this crazy idea, it is scary. It is scary. And I think that that's why the movie is important, because through all of the silliness, we can show some issues that are not quite right, I think. And it's supposed to make us think, make us act, not only react. So did you have to prep or, or do any sort of training to, to learn to sort of stay in character when filming with these real people? And, and was there a particularly difficult moment for you to get through without breaking character? I had some difficulties uh, when I was with the amazing Janice Jones, my babysitter. Mm -hmm. The production had like a lunch break and they were supposed to take me with them, but something happened and I just stayed with her the entire time. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Because something inside of me was like, this woman is such an angel. <laughs> and I, I was like, should I keep trying to make her feel worried about Tuta? But I was like, okay, stay there, stay there. It's going to make an impact on the world because we need examples like her. So I don't think we had like training, but I was trying to see as much as possible from Sasha and to learn from him because he was yeah. like my mentor, my teacher. And he was like, when you think that people are start getting suspicious or when you get nervous or when you start laughing, just go deep inside the character and focus on what is the most important message of the scene? How are you going to go through this? And maybe Sasha trained me. <laughs> nice. Because um, he is obviously very experienced in the film industry and also on the awards trail. Um, so has he been sort of mentoring you in that aspect of it too, of sort of guiding you through what to expect from press and on the awards cycle and, and just in general of doing all of this sort of exposure now that you are a star thanks to this film? Yeah, I can say that I, I found a really, I don't know, is it friend the right word? Because he is more of a mentor to me because he's been guiding me even through my real life, my real nerves, because... I'm a nervous person, like for my real life. There's never been like, okay, I'm calm. Everything is amazing. It's going to be all right. There's always like, dak, 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 dak. he's been, okay, you, you are this personality. Just use it. The script was evolving every single day. And he's been like, this is going to be worth it at the end. And he was like, you're going to win awards. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's been like my biggest support from the first yeah. day, from the first audition. That's lovely. It's a really lovely connection that you guys have. And now I know that I personally would not have been able to keep it together during the Moonblood dance scene. Was that whole dance improvised? Or I, I can't believe that I'm even saying this. Was it choreographed beforehand? Yeah, we worked with the incredible choreograph Catherine Burns. And she teached us actually for a few lessons how to like uh, perform, how to be in the same <laughs> moment because Sasha is that tall and I'm like in the middle of this. So we trained with her and I remember that we trained like five minutes before we went inside this bowl and it was boiling hot. I was like basically couldn't stop sweating because it was extremely hot and, and we were with all of these clothes and Sasha was with the bat suit and yeah. it was crazy. <laughs> so because I think 
especially what we're seeing in the news right now, a lot of these um, radical conservative people were behaving in a hostile manner towards Sasha, at least what we could see in the film. So were you anticipating that hostility? And did that make you nervous to do any of the scenes because of that backlash you might receive? I mean, I'm a nervous person. I was nervous in every single scene. Maybe I didn't realize that it's actually that important because I'm not American and I'm not into American politics. So it wasn't for me like it's so much different than the other scene with some real person that is working on a cake shop. So probably I just didn't realize. I just knew from the very beginning that there's going to be a scene where I have to meet some important person and somebody that is on a high position uh, in the society. And I was like, okay, let's do it. We're going to do it. Mm-hmm. I really think that the whole crew behind of the camera and in front of the camera are incredible people. And I trust them. I trust their opinions because they've been either are from here or either has been living here for like 20 years. So I'm ready to, to believe in what they believe in. So yeah, I think I am anticipating it. Like you're saying, it is a big cultural difference, I guess, between politics in Bulgaria and the way people treat politics in the United States. So do you think that you had an initial preconceived notion of what America would be like in that sense? And after doing this movie, do you have a different opinion on American society and politics? Um, I don't know. To be honest, it doesn't even matter. Is it a small country or a huge country like the United States of America? People are like that everywhere. We have good examples. Unfortunately, we have some that are not that good. What I think the people were ready to stand up against misogyny, whether there is like a normal person who is working at this like pregnancy crisis center or if it's a politic, it doesn't even matter. If you're a good person, you're going to be a good person. We have an example like Jim and Jerry who believe that Hillary Clinton is drinking the blood from children, but they're actually feminists in some way. And they're the people who are telling him that this is not right. We are not doing that. It doesn't even matter how much you believe in some craziness. If you are able to keep the good in yourself and if you're ready to support people, if you're ready to be there for them and if you're ready to like teach them what is not so right and how we can make it better, because that's who we are. We are human beings and we're equal and we should support each other and we should love each other. And yeah. And I think one of the, the, like you were saying, one of the best examples of humanity in the film is Janice, the babysitter. I know that she seems so genuinely moved by your story, by how this character thought she was sort of indebted to her dad and that she couldn't masturbate or drive a car and that she wasn't pretty enough. And I imagine, like you were saying, it was emotionally difficult for you to not be able to just say in in the moment to her, like, this is just a movie. But what was the first conversation that you had with her after you were allowed to sort of break character and connect with her after the movie was done, what were the things that you said to her in that first conversation as you, Maria, not as Tutar? Um, I was shaking and I wasn't sure is it appropriate to call her, but I wanted to call her and I was like, okay, I have to do it because I do feel like attached to her. I feel Mm -hmm. moved for me as Maria because even in my real life, she made me think about because you have no idea but i was keep repeating the earth is flat the earth is flat the earth is flat you're a man you're a man show me your women things like over and over and over again and sometimes the things that i was saying were offensive and she was like keep giving me chances and chances and chances and with love trying to teach me good things so made me think about what kind of a person i want to be i want to be like her i want to be a supportive person i want to be a person who is going to show people love. So I was thinking about how to call her, what to say. And um, 
I called her after the release and I was wondering, um, is the first Thanksgiving going to be proper time? Because it's my first one here. And I was like, okay, if I want to celebrate it properly, I have to call the person that I'm probably one of the most people that I'm thankful my entire life. And I called her and I want to keep in touch with her. I'm not sure that this is something typical, but I do love this person and I want her in my life forever. And soon when this crazy virus is over and we all survive, I definitely cannot wait the moment when I'm going to see her. That's beautiful. I really love that you have that appreciation for her. She does shine through the film as this really great example of humanity, despite all of these other things going on. And I think that that is really a powerful contrast to some of the things that happen later in the film, um, like the plot climaxes with this Rudy Giuliani interview where he appears to stick his hands down his pants when you're alone in the hotel room together. And we see footage of you doing other interviews throughout the film in journalist mode. So did you actually have to go out and interview people like a real journalist to sort of gain credibility before his team agreed to do an interview with you? So I gained a credibility. We started it. My first interview as a journalist was at CPAC, actually, uh, where I was interviewed by One American News, or I interviewed them, I don't remember. But that was probably the end of February. So like two weeks later, COVID happened and everything got shut down. But by the middle of COVID, the first lockdown, I was doing Zoom interviews with different people, maybe every single day, sometimes twice a day. And I was like, okay, now I know who am I? I think I'm getting there. And that's probably was the way that they established me as to believe in myself that I'm a journalist now, and or at least I want to be a journalist. Yeah. So that scene, I think it does carry a certain amount of risk to it. I mean, you had to have anticipated that it would be a sort of controversial one. Were you surprised by what it appears Rudy is doing? Or did you feel uncomfortable throughout the interview? Were there certain signals that he was giving you that were making you feel like, oh, this guy is trying to do something? during the interview or any time setting up for that? Was there any point where you were like, this is going to go in a route that, you know, that is creepy? I can more talk about the human side rather than the political side. Mm. And mm. what I actually think is more like, what if I was a man? If I was a journalist, would you start drinking with me in the middle of an interview? Will you come mm-hmm. with me in the bedroom? Now, if I'm a female journalist, Should I be treated as a sexual object? Is there supposed to be a difference? Maybe this is, and this is more of a human behavior rather than a political thing. Because again, I'm not American. I've been here only for like two years. So I don't Mm -hmm. think I have a strong opinion yet, but it was a commitment. And I knew that it's important for this, for the movie. It's important for the script. It's important for, because as example, we had a scene uh, like the one with Janice, we had a scene like uh, the one with Judy, the lady at the synagogue. And when we have these beautiful examples, we need to keep going. We need to finish the thing. So of course I'm going to do it, whatever it takes. So the last question I'll ask you about that scene is, I guess, um, because it is an improvised scene um, on both of your ends, but what was the plan going in? Was there a sort of framework that you and Sasha talked about as to how you were going to approach the interview and then escalate it? afterwards into the the bedroom or um like how did you guys approach that scene before actually filming it and what terms of what you wanted to do in that scene with rudy i knew that sasha is going to be in the room like hidden in the closet for as long as it takes but we had an idea that it might be like super short okay this is fake 
okay, this is crazy. Okay, you're trying to trick me and to stop it or how to go from here, from there. We're dealing with real people. We have no idea how you're going to react, how I'm going to react. Just go with the flow. And I was sure that we had an incredible security team that if something wrong starts to happen, Sasha's going to jump in, he's going to save me first, and then I'm going to run away, and he's going to run away, and then from there, the security is going to handle everything. But thankfully, I wasn't that scary that something really bad is going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And you, I think for this scene and for many other scenes in the film, you're getting, like we said, this big Oscar buzz for this performance. And looking at the history of something like the Oscars, I think it's interesting because we don't really see, in recent years at least, a lot of comedic performances getting that kind of buzz, but you are getting it. And I imagine that doing a movie like this is very difficult just inherently because of the way it's filmed. So can you speak to how challenging it is to make comedy like this work as an actor, not only the physical and improvised element of it, but sort of honing that chemistry to make you feel comfortable doing it with Sasha. How difficult is it to do comedy like this? It is difficult. And I have to probably start there because um, my full background is only dramatic parts, starting from like teenage pregnancy to a teenager having a sexual affair with her real father or a teenager with a mental illness or teenager with food disabilities or teenager committing a suicide, things like that. And I was like, okay, the drama is the big thing. Now when I'm for the first time in a comedy and playing a funny character, it's a multi-layered character. I can see that it's much more harder because you still have to act. I mean, this project even more because you're in the real world and you still have to be the character, not me. We don't have like a person who is gonna be like, stop, second take or boom, or something like that. You have only one moment. So it's been difficult because from the first approaching of who is Tuta, uh, how she should speak like, my voice is like this deep. In the whole movie, I'm speaking with this voice. And at some point, I completely forget about which was my real voice. And I, I remember that I called a friend of mine. And I was like, should we go to get a coffee? And because the project was so confidential, I wasn't even able to say that, oh, I'm playing this character that has this voice because she's 15 years old. And Borat is speaking Hebrew with a few Polish words. Tute is speaking Bulgarian with also a few Polish words. And we have Dani, who is the Romanian actor. And these are like a mix of different languages. Uh, we've been like rehearsing in English and that was the moment where the incredible Jason was joining and he was like, we're going to push this scene. We're going to put this moment here. So we've been rehearsing in English, working in front of the people in two different languages. But even in Bulgaria, when today's speaking, in the beginning, she's speaking with more influenced version of Romani language. The English also and the way that they're walking, because it's everything. You have to create this character and you have to create it believable. But at the same time, it's like over the top. It's hyperbolized. So the character, I guess, sort of takes over you in a different way in a comedy like this versus something that's, you know, strictly scripted and, you know, boom, 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 filming scene after scene. This is sort of the character, it sort of envelops you in a different way. It is because as far as I'm informed, they've been searching for a person who is probably as crazy as Sasha. Is this person supposed to be like only mad? Is she going to have feelings? Is she going to be like smart, intelligent, like biologically? Because obviously she's not educated at all. But she has faster instincts that board and she's like, okay, I'm seeing this, make an association. Can a woman be a journalist? Can a woman drive a car? Can a woman ask questions? Oh, I think it's very dangerous. Ah, it's dangerous. And that's probably the first moment she's like, something is not exactly the way that you're saying that it is. 
And before this, you were, you know, still new to American audiences, audiences around the world um, before this film. But now I feel like you're going to have a lot of interesting new opportunities because of this film. So where do you want to take your career most as an actress now that you have this buzz from this film? I can even compare it to the, to the previous roles where it doesn't even matter that Tuta is a comedic character. The other ones are super dramatic, but I've always wanted to play characters that are showing how strong women are and how we can overcome anything. So having an important message like the triumph of the human spirit and the support and the equality between us and how we, we should love, we should be loved. I think the little prince said that and how we should dream because art can make an influence on the real world and through entertaining if we're able to make people think make make them a better version of themselves it's something powerful it's something important it's something that makes the most sense to me and i want to be part of some projects that are important that have strong messages that can make an impact on the world and to make the world a better place well we certainly look forward to your career ahead but for now maria that's all i have for you thank you so much for being here with me today you have been so lovely thank you so much experts make mistakes even the awardist so we're tracking our own progress on this chaotic awards journey by admitting what we're wrong about in our predictions and gloating about what we're right about this week it's oscar nominations day joey let's start with you what were you right about and what were you wrong about i can't wait for this oh no um I was right about in an unofficial capacity in a text with a friend who is not at EW that one night in Miami was going to miss. I was, yeah, we're just sticking with right for now. (laughs) Because I think that was it. That was it. Um, Let me think of one of of what you were right about. Mm -mm -mm. There's not much. You know, what, what, what's frustrating for me, I think probably for both of us, is, is we went back on a lot of things that we, yeah. we felt good about. Um, mm-hmm. We were predicting Ramin Brani for the White Tiger until uh, about the a week ago. Um, you know, it, it was just, it felt yeah. like there was going to be more um, disorder, perhaps, than there mm-hmm. actually was, just because it was such a different way of, of watching the nominees and things like that. But really, things weren't that surprising. Um, you know, you could argue Ma Rainey and... and uh, um, and One Night Miami hit a lot of precursors before Missing Best Picture, but, you know, it happens every year um, with, with at least one not contender. Um, Your level-headedness is so much, I need to start trusting that so much more. Like, you were right, and I was so wrong, and I pulled your hand into the realm of chaos uh, throughout this whole season, so we need to just start listening to you. That's well, I mean, I, I think we balance each other out, though. I mean, I, I think that this was a year where we were going to be wrong about something. I, yeah. I don't necessarily, uh, I, I mean, first of all, I made those choices too. Uh, in terms of what I was wrong about and that I'm really, you know, annoyed about, um, Best Actress, we had that five predicted in January, Joey. Yeah, we did. I checked. We did. And we, did. we thought it was too safe and we took out mm-hmm. Vanessa Kirby and that was me who suggested that uh, for Rosamund Pike for I Care A Lot. Um, I still think Vanessa Kirby was more vulnerable than other people think. But yeah. it was probably a case, not unlike Best Actor, actually, um, where just a clear alternative was not was not there. You know, Sophia Loren and Zendaya were, were just non-star- <laughs> were non-starters, to say the least. Um, Although and, Zendaya and, gives a better performance, I think, than per- perhaps many people yeah. in that category. Um, really? Well, you what? love that movie. Really? 
Oh, I love the movie. I think that Zendaya gave one of the best performances of the whole year. Yes, without question. I liked her in the movie, but we do disagree. Um, <laughs> um, but I think we were, we, neither of us were pretty high on her nominations chances from the beginning. So, um, in terms of what I was right about, I think going back with Paul for Sound of Metal and supporting actor, he hadn't hit really any precursors, but, um, there was a real groundswell for the movie. Um, and I was really glad that that panned out. Mm-hmm. Oh, so what I was wrong about, um, <laughs> number one, Penguin Bloom in all categories, um, <laughs> I was very wrong about Amanda Seyfried. Uh, I just, I really thought that missing SAG, she was going to, um, you know, I just really thought that she was not going to show up. Um, I was wrong about Jody because I was hanging on to that stat in a year where statistics I right. mean less. Um, I was wrong about Rossman Pike. I was wrong about <laughs> Alan Kim. I just feel really bad that I made David change those predictions but well no one yeah, was, was predict lakeith stanfield it, what yeah. no one was going to predict lakeith stanfield no no i wish we i wish we would have i really wish we would have because you you did suggest it and i was like yeah i feel it it's there too but we mm-mm, mm-mm. No, don't be so hard on yourselves you had you had some great predictions the week before and, best actor and, yeah i mean best actor steven i think we were some of the first yeah. people to put steven mm-hmm. in uh, mm-hmm. for predictions. So I'm glad that we got 100% on Best Actor. That was that was nice. Yeah. I think that's all from us today. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Awardist, and thanks to Joey, as always, for his analysis and expertise. Please subscribe and listen along every week wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us, tell us what you think, share it with your friends. You can also head to ew.com slash awardist for complete coverage of this year's Oscar race. And follow me on Twitter at ClarissaNYC1 David at David Canfield 97 and Joey at Joey Nofi. We'll be back next week to start talking about the next stop on the Oscar circuit, the SAG Awards, and we'll be joined by Yaya Abdul-Mateen, an ensemble nominee for The Trial of the Chicago 7. Thanks for listening. This has been The Awardist.